The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The opinions expressed here reflect the judgment of the host and are subject to change. The material has been prepared and can be distributed for information purposes and is not a solicitation or an offer to buy any security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. Additional information is available upon request. Please contact Jason Steele at info at westonbanks.com. Welcome to Media and Your Money with host Jason Steele. Our program will help you make the most of your investment plans, whether it's for your future, your child's future, or short and long-term financial planning. Now, here is your host, Jason Steele. Good morning, East Coast. Wake up, West Coast. I'm your host, Jason Steele, and today is June 19th. This is Media and Your Money. And our show today is going to be a, a wonderful show with, with Paul Keaton. He's a, a, a member of the Dorsey Wright Investor Group. Uh, but before we get started with Paul, let's go over some things that have happened with Meeting Your Money. As you know, the show is, uh, is about the, uh, to, to break down the traditional walls of management that the big warehouses, wirehouses have, have tried to push for years. We believe in thinking outside the picture frame and knowing that the access to media, the access to your iPads, your iPhones, and then touching an investor sentiment today move the market more than ever. And the examples I'll give this morning are what happened yesterday. Um, let's talk about yesterday. Uh, the stocks rallied on Wednesday's session, and we saw the Dow uh, rise about 98 points to 16.906, and the S&P advanced 15 points to an all-time high of 1956, and the NASDAQ climbed 26 points to 4,362. See, the major averages finished firmly in positive territory following the Fed's policy meeting. As expected, the central bank trimmed its monthly asset purchases by another $10 billion to $35 billion. And then the market began to advance following the comments from Chair Janet Yellen. And at a press conference, Yellen said the economy is recovering in the current quarter and should continue to prove at a moderate pace. So if you go back and think of what's happening, we're all sitting there at our desktops. We're all sitting there on our iPads and our iPhones. We're all the brokers and institutions are looking for the, for, the, for the rate cut, and she does. She cuts it, makes it say the economy is feeling a bit better about ourselves. We're now thinking that we can stand on our own two feet. And then, boom, the market goes up. And at one point, it was up like 125 to 130 and ended up closing up 98. All... 10 sectors in the S&P 500 were up yesterday's session. The utilities and the materials were the best performing groups. Duke Energy was up about 2.4%, closed around 72. Shares of air products rose about 7.5 to 130 after the uh, industrial gas maker pointed a new chairman and CEO. And then what I uh, found uh, was great and looking at take over some market share, Amazon was up 2.7% to about $334 after the company introduced a new smartphone to challenge Apple's iPhone. So last night, my wife Amanda and I were sitting on the couch, and she's like, did you see this new smartphone? And it is cool. I will tell you, Granville, if you're listening, this is something that's 3D. You can move with your hand. 
You don't need two hands to operate this phone. It's one. It goes on gestures. Um, and it's pretty cool. It has like this 3D animation and whatever the elements of the room are, they actually will pick up the light, the sense the light. Um, there's a, there, it automatically scrolls. It's got a cool 3D map uh, area on it. And uh, I actually I was telling my wife, I look forward to cashing in my iPhone and moving over to a Samsung product or an Amazon product. Um, moving on, let's talk about really what's happening in uh, uh, media and your money. We always talk about what the premise is. If you can find the common denominator that everybody is, is talking about, you actually can uh, follow some of those trends and make some money. So what's that mean? That means because of our show, we actually try to tell you, here's what these folks are talking about. Here's what Wells Fargo is talking about. Here's what Federated is talking about, BlackRock. Um, and as we move forward, everybody makes a prediction. Well, if you think about the market and supply and demand, what makes the market go up? And I mention this every show. So if you're new to our show, what makes the market go up is that you've got more buyers than sellers. And what makes the market go down is you have more sellers than buyers. So when you go back to 0102 in 2008 or 9, the reason the market fell so much is because we were reporting so much negative sentiment on the, on the airwaves and in front of our TV sets that we captured the emotions and fear of the clients and they began to, to liquidate their portfolios, making the market to go down. So this year we have uh, faced a couple things. You know, we have uh, uh, the strategy team here at Western Banks. Uh, we kind of told everybody that we'd anticipate some periods of weakness for the stocks. Uh, due to some headwinds that would be holding back the market. And we haven't seen much of it yet because we're only up about 4.5% for the year. And we had some midterm elections, some geopolitical uncertainty and slowdown in China could all be catalysts for for profit-taking. Now, what we have done recently is we have taken out uh, Austria in our portfolio, and we actually read a whole bunch of of common denominator news. Like, don't we mention all the, the players? But there's about four or five folks that had had Austria. Now they've all added New Zealand, which, and they added Germany and Ireland and Netherlands and Sweden over the last few, uh, four or five uh, months. Now that we've added that, if I actually calculated the total return of those areas and those ETFs, those common denominator ETFs are up an average of 10% in the last uh, three to four months. Um, we continue to favor and, and, and underweight commodities, but we favor equity positions in the USA, and we also uh, liked to stand alone in Northern Europe. Um, from an allocation standpoint, we believe that uh, you should diversify your holdings uh, in, in the U.S. with uh, some industrials, some technology, uh, and look for some pullbacks to add to energy. So with that being said, we're going to take a twist and we're going to uh, bring on one of our managers uh, that is in our IRA enhancer. In fact, right now they've got 42% of our of our program, there we have four managers. Uh, Dorsey Wright is is one of our managers within the IRA Enhancer program. Um, very tactical, very different uh, than the other folks. And it's Paul Keaton. Paul is a graduate of the Virginia Military Institute with a degree in civil engineering, and first joined Dorsey Wright and Associates in 1997. He's co-authored uh, "Keep Peddling Zen Farmer: Finding Religion Among the Rapids." Uh, commodity strategies, high profit techniques for investors and traders, and currently serves as the firm's vice president. He contributes daily commentary for Dorsey Wright's daily equity and market analysis report, consults with Dorsey Wright's more than 700 worldwide broker-dealer clients just like myself, and leads the development of what we call the Tactical Tilt Managed Account Program that we use in our IRA Enhancer. Uh, 
Paul's constantly uh, traveling and discussing the point-and-figure methodology of risk management and the firm's many strategies and investment products based upon the robust investment engine. Welcome, Paul. Thank you very much, Jason. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I'm uh, always always happy. Any, any invitation that keeps me indoors at this time of the year, so I appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. It is 81 here with a heat index supposed to be 102. I dropped my kids off at soccer uh, camp at NC State University, and as we get down the field about 845 in the morning, it's already 90, 92 degrees. It's hot. Hey, i got to ask you something. So I'm reading your bio and uh, and my wife Amanda is a huge fan and worked for the uh, Republican Party at one point. Um, you have two children, Reagan and Liberty. You got to <laughs> tell me where they come from. Well, it's like with with you know with anything. Those you know those names that you, you give your children. You you know you they tend to be sticky, right? I mean, you probably know someone whose who's, you know son or daughter has changed their name at some point, but by and large. They're designed to be things that last, and at some point, um, I figured my kids would probably ask the origin of their names, and you know, nothing uh, seemed better than than the name Liberty um, as just a, a name and and more of a, a virtue, I guess, to um, to you know to serve as a foundation for a you know a child's upbringing, and you know, Reagan um, is. Fairly, fairly, uh, you know, self-explanatory. Whatever. It's uh, not really a, a, you know, a political term. I mean, Reagan was kind of famous in the sense that he was uh, a member of both parties at you know one point in his career. Um, so it's not really a political statement. It's just more it was a, a good human being and a, a great leader. And it's um, someone I would uh, I would hope that my son could could emulate down the road. Oh, that's awesome. I think, you know, bringing that down to perspective, I mean, you going to VMI and having that pedigree in the background, I mean, we just know we thank you for what you've done. And, you know, when having Reagan and Liberty, I just love the names, uh, truly, truly. I mean, normally when you meet these guys, it really is coming back and trying to bring the core foundation of the U.S. and things that I have for leadership. So thank you. Hey, but Paul, moving on, um, let's go back about Dorsey Wright. You know, uh, you know, we know you, you've, I don't know how you joined the firm, um, but can, can you go through what the firm is today and Dorsey Wright and maybe what point and figure charting is and is it different today than it was 20 years ago? Yeah, sure. And, you know, for me, I was, um, you know, as far as education wise, it was, I had an engineering background and really didn't understand markets and didn't understand what moved markets, but I understood numbers and I understood how, um, you know, that how forces interact with one another to produce movement in one direction or another. And, you know, I had a great opportunity to meet Tom Dorsey, who's the founder of Dorsey Wright and Associates. And in about 30 seconds, he simplified the stock market to me. He made me understand what I doubt I would have been able to with, you know, a CMT, a CFA, a, you know, a SEMA, I mean, any type of designation you want to put after a person's name, I doubt I would have had the same clarity as I got in 30 seconds with Tom Dorsey. And he said very simply that, you know, markets are about supply and demand, that there's you can take all the, the headlines, all the news events, all of the opinions, all of the, you know, the smartest people on Wall Street, and you can imagine everything that they say going into the very top of a giant funnel. 
and you can you just keep throwing everything in there. You talk about what you know the new Fed chairman um, uh, you know said yesterday, and how the markets responded to that, and you know what might be said by um, you know some someone over in Europe, and what might have been said by exactly. you know you know a, a central bank leader in Japan, and all these different you know important people with all these different important headlines. All of that you can imagine being thrown in the top of a funnel, and. He said that, you know, all we need to pay attention to is what comes out the bottom of the funnel. None of these headlines matter. The only thing that matters is what those headlines and events and price action, what it causes people to do. Yes. And yes, does, and that's what I love. Exactly. Do those headlines attract new buyers or attract new sellers into the market? If someone were to go to the Wall Street Journal's Market Watch site this morning, you know, they'd look at, you know, the BlackRock chief, you know, Larry Fink. He says there's no reason to question the continued rise in stocks. Now, that's all well and good, but it doesn't mean anything until it gets someone off their couch to go over their computer and exchange cash for shares of IBM or Apple or whatever. In other words, introduce new demand to the market. And so what Tom explained to me was that, look, all we do at Dorsey Wright is we ignore everything going to the top of that funnel but we pay very close attention to what's coming out of the bottom of that funnel, which is price. And price is the only objective input in the markets. If prices rise, it's for one reason and one reason only. There are more buyers than sellers willing to sell at a particular price. There's nothing more to this business than supply and demand when it comes to price movement. And that's when I was sold. And uh, that was, gosh, I don't know, almost 20 years ago now. Well, you know, we're on the same page there. I didn't, actually didn't know what you're going to talk about, and that's exactly what I keep telling everybody else in the in the uh, in our clientele is like when you pick me up a stock and you've heard of this. I got a call the other day. Other day, some stock called Secon. Uh, uh, I was like, "What is that?" Some new medical drug maker. I went, well, "Who's following it?" Well, nobody. Well, I said, "Well, it's not going anywhere." <laughs> so you got to have buyers in it. So. Uh, we are going to take a commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about this DWA Tactical Tilt Strategy, which you helped launch. And uh, so if you're joining us, I've got Paul Keaton from uh, Dorsey Wright & Associates. Welcome to, Wealth, uh, to Media and Your Money. When we return in just a few minutes. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time for our special series on the future of business. Learn how you can become the transformational leader who takes your company across the finish line as you look ahead to the next breakthrough wave of innovation. The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP on the Business Channel. 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Media and Your Money with Jason Steele. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to jason.steele at westonbanks.com. That's jason.steele at westonbanks.com. Now, back to Media and Your Money. Welcome back. Um, my name is Jason Steele, and, and, and we want to kind of preface this again. If you're just waking up, San Francisco, get your coffee. I always put a shout out to you guys because I got some listeners out there that email us. Uh, LA, wake up, get your coffee. It's about 6 uh, 6.15 your time, 9.15 our time. Um, we are talking right now with one of Dorsey Wright's uh, vice presidents, uh, Paul Keaton. Uh, Paul has a very similar philosophy uh, from a technical and fundamental analysis um, that media and your money comes to, to, to show out. They talk about supply and demand. Um, we believe that uh, the, the more the more uh, people buying is going to make the market go up, and the more people selling is going to make the market go down. And and he's talked about this funnel at the top. Um, that what what we put in the funnel is it actually coming out the bottom? You know, or is it more just noise? Um, I've always said that information is about good for twenty four hours. The next day, you know, some something new is going to be good, and we already forgot the other reports the day before. But Paul, let's let's go back. You know, we talk about point and figure charting. And 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 you kind of gave the answer, but you are doing the exact same thing today that you did, you know, 20 years ago, and now you've come up with this new program called the, w, the DWA, the Dorsey Wright Tactical Tilt Strategy, which you helped launch. What is tactical tilt? Well, the tactical tilt is it's simply a way of following where the demand is, you know, what markets and what sectors are being controlled by demand. And it's simply a way of delivering a portfolio that follows those leadership trends in a rules-based, logical, organized manner. There's no human emotion involved. Um, There is simply a set of rules and those rules must be followed 100% of the time. There's no, you know, manager override. There's no, well, gosh, you know, we really, you know, we have these rules, but, you know, we didn't know that interest rates were going to be at, you know, 0% for five years. And so, you know, obviously these are abnormal times and we need to adjust our, our belief system. Um, there are, uh, tactical tilt is a set of rules where our best thinking and our, you know, 27 years of experience as a company and our role of serving as Wall Street's technician for that long, um, all of that goes into the rules. Uh, but none of it goes into the day-to-day management. There's no gut instinct. There's no, um, you know, well, you know, Russia is um, becoming more aggressive and Iraq is in shambles and therefore something else must happen. Absolutely not. You know, we pay attention only to leadership trends, price trends in the market. And in doing so, we're able to put portfolios together 
um, that keep proper diversification but remain tactical. You know, they've got the ability uh, to, to be substantially in cash and bonds and play defense. Um, but in the absence of a need to play defense, when, de- when demand is still flowing and still controlling equity markets, uh, that's where we want to be and specifically in the strong sectors of equity markets. And so tactical till is simply a delivery system for that. Um, but the, the, key, the key ingredients are, are that the inputs are only supply and demand driven and that uh, the management is 100% rules-based. And those are the key elements. Uh, and that, when put together, allows us to manage risk effectively um, for investor clients. And, and so I'm assuming all those rules are, 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 are mostly built on trends, like when you're actually looking for different areas, and is, is, it, is it trend following within those rules? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely it is. And it's like, um, you know, there's um, you know, many investors that have been very successful over time with, you know, trend following approaches, and most of them get there with the same basic premise. And that is, we don't care about the bottom 20% of anything. Absolutely don't care about it. And similarly, I don't care about the top 20% of any move. The average trend in the market is over two and a half years. I don't care about to be the very first person in or the very first person out. So we don't care about that bottom 20% of the top 20%. We care a heck of a lot about that 60% in the middle, though. Being on the right side of an important trend is the most important thing to us. Being the first person to it or the first person out of it is insignificant. Um, the, the meat of performance um, tends to come in the middle. Uh, not only that, the, you know, the volatility is much lower once a trend has really emerged. Um, the, there's a ton of noise at bottoms, and, and you and your clients can think back to you know, March of 2009, April of 2009, February of 2000, you know, that period. And the market was bottoming. You know, the U.S. equity market was bottoming. The commodity markets were bottoming. Uh, international markets were bottoming. But there was tremendous volatility, volatility that most of us hope we'll never see again, and most of us probably won't ever see again. Uh, that level that was once-in-a-generation volatility in the risk markets. And so to be the first person in comes with the most gut-wrenching, stomach-turning, throw-up-in-your-trash-can feeling that it's very difficult to do it on an unemotional basis. And so um, we try not to spend too much time on the, uh, in those, uh, worrying about the extreme volatility. Rather, we want to see enough evidence for a new trend emerge, and then our rules allow us to go in with confidence and stay in that trend until there's ample evidence that it's ended. So, so I use you guys in our IRA enhancer UMA, and you're and you're big for me in that. And the reason is is because the other managers we use, along with you, are in a U.S. based, and you guys are kind of go anywhere, I guess, or have international. And so, you know, I'm not a big believer currently on what we call just strategic asset allocation. You got to have small cap, mid cap, large cap, value growth, international commodities. That's a traditional warehouse. That's kind of saying, hey, you don't know where the market's going on all the sectors. Well, I don't want to own oil at $140 a barrel. I don't want to own emerging markets when the emerging markets are, t- are coming apart. And, and our old allocations do that. So do you believe in strategic allocation or when these trends are happening? So are you always going to say, well, we're always going to keep this amount of money here or can you just go anywhere at any allocation? I don't think that there's anyone that believes in strategic allocation. I mean, you can take one of the godfathers 
of strategic allocation and, um, you know, Burden Malkiel, and who wrote a book on, you know, essentially strategic allocation, you know, the set it and forget it, buy and hold. And, you know, that approach has been completely discredited, um, um, if not by, you know, the two major bear markets we've seen of late and the, the inability for strategic allocation um, to keep investors um, on the rails throughout those bear markets, um, you know, the entire process has been discredited. But a guy like Bert Malkiel, to begin the year, you know, he writes, you know, for a, uh, a piece for the Wall Street Journal, and, you know, the Wall Street Journal is asking him, you know, what should, how should portfolios be positioned for 2014? And he starts talking about, well, you just rebalance, right? You just rebalance your portfolios, and then you're good to go. And, but yeah, but starts, rebalance to what? Then, well, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And what does rebalance mean? You know, it sounds, a, it sounds like a, uh, a very impressive term, you know, the rebalance. You know, that's, that sounds almost like a, an elegant portfolio management term. But if you were to break down rebalancing just for the sake of rebalancing for what it actually is, what does it really mean? I mean, if you actually sat an investor down and you said, well, you know, what rebalancing really is, is we're going to find anything in your portfolio that's worked for the past year, and we're going to sell it, and we're going to look, look for anything that has done miserably, and we're going to buy as much as we can of that. You know, we're going to sell what's worked, and we're going to buy what hasn't. Um, that, as a portfolio management philosophy, is hardly impressive when put in those terms, because things that have worked in the market tend to continue working. For a while, mm-hmm. certainly they do. And as long as you have a, um, you, you know, a timely, organized process for identifying when things have stopped working, then this rebalancing arbitrarily on Cinco de Mayo and your anniversary or whatever, you know, that's unnecessary. Um, but what's interesting about strategic allocation now is that it's absolutely free. You know, you get what you pay for. And you can go online yesterday, in fact, there was a pretty important announcement from a company called Covester that they're making uh, strategic allocation portfolios ab- you know, available for absolutely free. And the reason they can do that is because they're worthless. There is no value added in simple strategic allocation portfolios. They don't manage risk. Um, they don't give the investor the ability um, to participate, uh, to overweight strong asset classes when they're rising, and to underweight them when they're falling. And so it's just an interesting story that won some people a Nobel Prize 50 years ago. Um, but in terms of portfolio management and allowing investors to sleep at night, uh, it does nothing for that. I'm glad you said I mean, you said it better than I did. There's a company out there called Betterment, and we're not here to talk about other companies, but same thing. They're out there putting these strategic allocation programs. They've, they've, they've capitalized on the Internet, and they've gathered about a $500 million the last three years off people who don't want to use a broker, and they charge 15 basis points to put these strategic allocations together. Because in that thing, as I've always said, is asset center management wins the game for these big firms. They don't care if they make you, make you money, but they're going to make money anyway. And, uh, and they buy in that old philosophy, and there's so much white papers about strategic allocation that I agree have changed since the rise of the Internet. And I'm looking at a slide here that uh, was created by Dorsey Wright years, uh, I guess a couple of years ago, and it stopped in 2012. Now, listeners, listen to this. If you had bought strategic allocation from 2000 to 2012, you would have averaged 2.82% on your money. And if you had bought a money market from 2000 to 2012, you had made 2.07% on your money. 
you basically took all that risk and had all that heartache to make the same amount of money over it, over that, uh, that 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 period. Um, so strategic allocation and money markets they produce the same. You know that's just basically what I would say is that there's there's a, there's a new sheriff in town, and I think Dorsey Wright is one of them. And they've been around for a while, but they have gained more notoriety as we move forward. Um, and I'm hoping that we can capitalize on that because there's a lot of ways to be smarter. Um, we're going to take a commercial break again, and when we come back. Um, we're going to go more into about the, what, what's in these uh, programs for Tactical Tilt and how we make some pitfalls and how we make some, some gains um, when we return. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Media and Your Money with Jason Steele. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to jason.steele at westonbanks.com. That's jason.steele at westonbanks.com. Now, back to Media and Your Money. Welcome back, listeners. Uh, If you're just joining us, my name is Jason Steele. I'm your host of Media and Your Money where we try to uh, go against the common thread of buy and hold and the strategic allocations that many institutions put together uh, with a diverse portfolio. And really try to go out there and help the listener understand that if you find the common trends in the headline news and look at the bottom of the filter of what actually is working, that the market works on supply and demand. And joining us uh, is Dorsey Wright and Associates member Paul Keaton. And we've been talking about the tactical tilt strategy, a strategy that is out there trying to gather all this information that's coming across the wirehouses and in 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 institutions and putting at the top of the filter as Paul put it you know what's going in is at the very bottom is it coming out and our investors buying into it and then trying to follow that trend um, so Paul as we as we kind of left we were kind of talking about you know that we both feel that buy and hold is dead and uh, and strategic allocation does not work anymore due to the uh, the constant inflow and emotions that that the economy is putting on our investors. Um, 
So let's talk about some maybe some common pitfalls. I mean, uh, your strategy avoids lots of things, but what are some of the common pitfalls? And can you go deeper into maybe some of the few rules in the process of your tactical tilt strategy? Sure, a- absolutely. And, you know, the, the pitfall that most investors make is they lock themselves into a strategy uh, that is so rigid um, or they lock themselves into an investment product that is so rigid that it can't adapt to what might be six months or six years down the road because the portfolio is not, uh, it doesn't, it's not built with the freedom to adapt and the freedom to evolve as markets change. And that really, you know, we were talking about strategic allocation, and that ultimately is the problem with strategic allocation. There are actually good tenants of, you know, the actual premise for strategic allocation was simply to say, like, look, there are different types of investors, and, you know, investors have different risk tolerances. Well, I think we would agree that that part of it is true. You know, and there are different types of investors, just like, you know, there are different types of travelers, okay? There are, um, there are some people, you know, Jason, down where you are, that I'm sure don't want to fly at all. They have no interest in it. Uh, they don't want to deal with the hassle at the airport. They don't want to lose sleep at night and go into a panic attack with the whole idea of going to the airport and getting on a plane and all that stuff, or they've had a bad experience. But the point is, they just don't fly. And so they drive. And for them, that lets them sleep at night. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, they're happier doing that. And you would call them a whatever, a conservative traveler, let's say. And there's other people that, you know, true, maybe they fly, but they're not going to get on a transatlantic flight across an ocean. Um, so, you know, they don't mind flying, but they do it on their own terms. And so when they vacation, they vacation within the continental 48 states, and there's plenty of um, you know, national parks and whatever to go to. And so they're perfectly happy doing that. And that might be someone who's moderate. And there's other people out there, and you've met them. And, you know, these are people that need to jump out of airplanes just to feel alive, right? They need the adrenaline rush. And, you know, these are people that statistically still often live long and happy lives, you know, mm-hmm. but they, they have a higher risk tolerance for, in this case, we talk about traveling. So these are three very different types of people for sure. And certainly they would each have different agendas for their next vacation. And strategic allocation does, I think, a good job of at least identifying that, look, there are aggressive investors out there, there are moderate aggressors out there, and there are conservative addressers, uh, investors out there. And so there's a difference between the road-tripping couple and the skydiver. The problem is that that's where the benefits of strategic allocation end, is that they have identified these two different risk tolerances, but they have no capacity to provide either of those two people with the necessary safety equipment. The road tripper, they'd say, Mr. Jones, you're conservative. We understand we're going to put you in about 80% bonds here, which is like telling you to get into a car and head on I-95, and <laughs> we're not telling you which direction. Just go that way. I Just say, go you, that you, way. Yeah. And I don't want to hear you asking questions about why there are no seatbelts in the car because our research says that if you just keep driving, if you just stay between the lines, all is going to be fine. As by and by, everything's going to be okay. And so our research tells us just keep on driving. You'll be okay. Don't ask for directions. Don't stop for any uh, accidents. Don't consider any detours. Just keep on going. 
And then you look in the map in the car, and the map's 30 years old. And so that's strategic allocation. There is no adaptiveness. There's no trend following. And when you get 50 miles down the road and you're trying to go from, you know, Key West, Florida to Portland, Maine, and you're 30 miles into your journey and the road's closed for uh, some accident, some jackknifed 18-wheeler, um, strategic allocation is unable to adapt to that. And that's the problem is that you go through a, uh, imagine an investor who's, you know, 80 years old, has plenty of wealth, and is told he's conservative, and has put in 80% bonds, and then sits and looks at this market and says, well, gosh, what if interest rates were to rise for the next 10 years? That's not going to feel like a very conservative portfolio, now, is it? No, and that's the no. issue. And for an aggressive guy, you know, the, the traditional allocation portfolio is going to, you know, take that guy who's a skydiver, and they're going to say, yeah, just, you know, you're, you like to jump out of planes, here's your plane, jump out. And it's going to give them the same advice whether the plane's flying over an empty field like it's supposed to be or whether it's over open water or whether it's open over a, an active volcano. It, <laughs> yeah. doesn't ta- it doesn't adjust for conditions My on the ground. My assistant used to always tell me we had a slide that we did in a pres- presentation and it said if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. <laughs> and so we had That's it great. up there and they had, and they had 440 to the left, 440 to the right, 440 <laughs> up and it's like just take 440. Well, if you, you, know, you I mean, we could, we'd be going a mile down the road, but you might go 2,000 miles to get there. You know? so, That's absolutely gonna, right. And so all we tried to build with, with the, this tactical tilt process, and you know, this is nothing really. This is research that we've been doing for 27 years. Um, the, the ability for us to provide what we do with tactical tilt now, um, in large part, has to do with the ability to use ETFs. ETFs have changed the way uh, that we do business. Um, it's the most revolutionary product since the advent of, of the stock option. Well, let's and, go through that. Let's sure. go through that. So you guys use ETFs and um, in the IRA enhancer, which you actually, listeners, if you're listening and, you're, and you want to uh, start to look at some of, of Paul's programs, you can go to voiceamerica.com. Above my pictures, it says download the IRA enhancer guide. And in that guide, you're going to get some information on the, the Dorsey Wright and Associates, the uh, the other investors that are in there, but there'll be some meat behind there. Um, and we, I understand there are ETFs in there. So let's explain, if you're a first-time listener, what it is an ETF, Paul? So an ETF is an exchange-traded fund, and it's not – it's as a – you know, as a – you know, just being introduced to that product um, – I would look at it as it's sort of like a mix between a mutual fund and a stock. For most investors, when you think about a mutual fund, you think about something that has some sort of management to it and that it owns a bunch of things inside of it. And for an ETF, both of those things are true. It it is typically a basket of things inside that ETF. On the other hand, it trades just like a stock. And so throughout the day... And there's well over a trillion dollars now um, in ETFs, uh, U.S.-listed ETFs, I should say. And so throughout the day, you could go on the New York Stock Exchange, and, you know, Dorsey Wright, you know, we have 15 ETFs, uh, most of which that trade on the New York Stock Exchange, and so they're just a symbol. So PDP, Paul David Paul, is an ETF that tracks a Dorsey Wright index, that is listed on the New York Stock Exchange, and you can buy and sell shares of it just like you do shares of IBM or Coca-Cola. And so, well, you know, you know Jason, PDP is, is one of the holdings within your IRA Enhancer product. And the reason that's the case is because in that one ETF, 
there are 100 stocks in that ETF. And those 100 stocks are constantly, every quarter, they're managed by a set of Dorsey Wright rules that simply say, these 100 stocks have got to remain among the strongest trends in the U.S. market. And if any of those 100 stocks begin to falter and enter a negative performance trend relative to the market, relative to their peers, then it gets kicked out and it gets replaced. And all of that happens inside the ETF without the investor's need to do anything. It happens inside the portfolio. And what's interesting and unique about the ETF relative to a mutual fund is when that change happens, there is generally absolutely no tax consequence for the investor or for other shareholders. And with open-end mutual funds, traditionally, many of you have probably read uh, about that the scenario where you know, all you did was buy a mutual fund, you're holding a mutual fund, and then somewhere down the line, you get this capital gains distribution. That's the result of someone else selling a bunch of their uh, shares of a mutual fund. And um, it goes back to how mutual funds are, um, are how those transactions are done. We did earlier in our show about three or four weeks ago, we kind of explained that. I'll read this real quickly. In 2007, we had a pretty good market return. I think the uh, average market return in 2007 was like 17%. 2008, the market began to correct. And and I got the phone calls because in 2006 and seven, all those managers began to rebalance their portfolios. And then by March of 2008, when they began to go pay their taxes, their values were down you know, 10 to 12% because the pullback began to happen. Uh-huh. And so all of a sudden, they're getting tax 1099s calling me upset saying, I got to pay tax in a fund that they made changes last year, and I'm down 20%. <laughs> so right, exactly they, it, right. It was hard to swallow. So I want you to rephrase it again. So with like a PDP, you're making changes inside the ETF without any tax burden to the client. That's right. I mean, we've been the index provider for that ETF since March of 2007, since it launched. And there's, you know, well over a billion dollars in that ETF. And, you know, and across all of our ETFs, there's, you know, four or four and a half billion dollars across all of our ETFs. And none of them have ever issued a cap gains distribution. And the reason for that is the structure of the ETF. And, you know, we could get uh, complicated, but I don't want to, you know, your listeners in San Francisco, I don't yeah. want them to go to sleep just uh, just when they're waking up. And so uh, the point is that it's the structure of the ETF that allows things to move in and things to move out in what's called an in-kind distribution or in-kind transaction. And it's just a, uh, it's the structure of the ETF that allows that to happen. And it's, I, I laugh when I read articles about, well, this ETF has, you know, 80% turnover and that's the ETF only has 20% turnover, so you want to go with that ETF. And it's clearly that's written by someone who has no idea what they're talking about. They live in the mutual fund world. And turnover in an ETF generally doesn't matter at all because it doesn't generate any sort of a taxable event. And it's, and it's not expensive to own these things. I mean, I'm looking at PDP right now. The market just opened up. It's trading at, uh, looks like, 3940 uh, which actually would be an all-time high. If I'm, yeah. Which would be an all-time hot this morning yeah. um, for, for PDP. Yields about, uh, looks like uh, uh, 0.269, so it's got a little bit of dividend there. But are they expensive to own? Generally not. And, you know, like, you know, that on some level, that's, you know, the, like a question on, you know, how long is a rope? You know, it can be all different 
shapes and sizes. And there are some active ETFs out there that do have expense ratios that are, you know, over, you know, 1%. The average ETF, but, you know, there are also ETFs that have expense ratios, you know, at eight basis points. And so, in that eight basis point ETF, I mean, one that comes to mind, you know, there's a bond ETF that, you know, is, is a part of your IRA enhancer also, Jason, you know, symbol AGG, it's got thousands, thousands of bonds inside this uh, portfolio. The expense ratio of that ETF is eight basis points. And wow. so, it's a very, very wow. inexpensive way to get kind of core beta exposure to an asset class, and it's got U.S. bonds and agencies and corporates and lots of stuff. It's, it's broad exposure to an asset class. So, you know, ETFs can have expense ratios above uh, 1%. That's a, you know, well below 10% of the ETF community. There's 1,500 different ETFs out there, and, you know, on average, the costs are substantially lower than traditional open-end mutual funds. And more importantly, you know, the costs are completely transparent. You know, they are, you know, very visible. They're not, you know, different share classes with different loads and things like that. The costs are extremely transparent, and the cost just comes out of the NAV on a daily basis. So when you see the return of something like PDP, the return based on the change in price is net of that expense ratio. And so uh, I think it's a very... Uh, transparent way of, of of doing some analysis on an investment and ha- knowing that you know the cost of participating in that investment has already been factored in. You know, when we return, we're going to take another commercial break. You know, we're going to kind of finalize, you know, we're smarter today and why buy and hold is dead and we're getting that. So if you're just listening, joining in right now and listening to Media and Your Money, I've got Paul Keaton from Dorsey Wright and we've been talking about dispelling the myths of traditional allocation. And so come back with us. We'll follow up. We'll wrap up the last 10 minutes um, on why we're smarter and how we can be smarter with your portfolio. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Media and Your Money with Jason Steele. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to jason.steele at westonbanks.com. That's jason.steele at westonbanks.com. Now, back to media and your money. Welcome back, listeners. So, California, you're probably in the car. You're driving to work, hopefully. And uh, if you're listening, we've been talking about uh, dismil- dis- okay, I guess dispelling, dispelling, I can't even think of the word right now, uh, Dismiss, demystifying the, 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 the buy and hold strategy and asset allocation. Um, 
we kind of left with uh, talking about a couple couple ideas out there at ETFs within the within the tactical tilt strategy, and the tactical tilt strategy is there as a, uh, to find you best ideas uh, based on where fundamental point and figure charting is going. Um, and as we left, we were talking about a couple stocks, uh, PDP and other things are out there. But Paul, when you make a change to a portfolio. And when you have so many people listening and so many uh, broker dealers following you all, when you make a change, does that affect the net asset value of the portfolio like it does? Because in the stock, if we get a bad news on Apple and everybody sells it, it's down three dollars before I even know I, I can wake up. How how does that affect the NAV of, of an ETF? Yeah, well, ETFs, and this is an important part, probably the most important part of an ETF, is that they are not closed-end. There's not a fixed quantity of an ETF. An ETF, you know, is not a Apple ETF. You know, there's not a an ETF out there that you know is based off just you know one underlying security. Um, or even just three or four or five underlying securities. So when you buy something like PDP, there are 100 stocks inside that basket. Now, what is important about the fact that an ETF is not a fixed quantity is that they can be easily created and redeemed. And so um, the way the market works, and this is an extremely elegant process, is that if I put in an order to buy 100 shares of PDP, then, and let's say that that order is going through a specialist or market maker, and they don't have, you know, 100, you know, they don't have shares of PDP, let's say, then what they will do is they will essentially, you know, give me shares that they don't have. In other words, they would be net short of uh, PDP, borrow shares, give them to me, and then to offset their risk, they would simply go buy those 100 stocks, and the exact same ratio that they're in the ETF. And the reason that that's important, that they can do that, is because there is a, uh, a market process through what's called our authorized participants that allow the in-kind transaction, meaning those 100 stocks, when that market maker has those 100 stocks, they can turn those into a, the authorized participant at the end of the day, and the authorized participant says, okay, we will convert that into you know, shares of PDP. And so in other words, and there's no taxable event when that's done because they're called like-kind securities because he's got the exact same 100 stocks and the exact same weighting as exists in PDP. Same thing for the S&P 500 spiders, um, which is just, you know, the cap-weighted version of the S&P 500. You know, the, the people on the floor, the computer systems, all they're doing is if someone wants to buy, you know, a million shares of uh, the spiders, which wouldn't be a you know, a big trade, quite frankly, uh, of a million share order comes through of new money coming in the market, it doesn't phase anyone because while spiders is one symbol, inside of it, you've got, you know, Apple and you've got GE and you've got these massive companies with tons of liquidity. And so with an ETF, even if an ETF only has, you know, $100 million in assets, you'll see that if it gets a big trading volume one day, it doesn't disrupt the net asset value because there, the market forces allow new shares to be created to meet demand. And that's an extremely important process. And, you know, the biggest breakdown for an ETF would be if new shares stopped being created. And, you know, if, if you're aware of a, an ETF or an ETN or something that is no longer creating new shares, then it's a product you should immediately you're just gonna... move away from and, yeah. and find an alternative. Um, because the beauty of the 
ETF is that creation redemption process, and that's that's a very important part of it functioning in the marketplace. And that state, and for our listeners, so they understand. I mean, when you do pay tax, obviously, is when Dorsey Wright sells part of the PDP piece out of your portfolio, correct? That's what it will create a Absolutely. capital gain. Absolutely. It allows the manager or the investor to control. You can't eliminate taxes, um, you know, and, uh, or if you could, we wouldn't want to talk about it on the radio, right? But yeah. there's, you know, the, there's no eliminating taxes. What, what you do have is the ability to control taxes. You don't get 1099s, you know, out of thin air. Um, you will only pay taxes when you, you know, sell that security for, you know, a capital gain. And so within our portfolios, the tactical tilt portfolio, they're designed to be tax efficient. We want long holding periods to get long-term capital gains uh, where we can. And, um, you know, these, you know, so we're not looking to, you know, make Lots of trades, and you know, you've seen you know this year, Jay. I think there's only been one trade, you know, picking up a that's, little bit of yeah, pain exposure. So, we know we got a few minutes. The show ends, but can you tell us real quickly, maybe what returns have been for the PDP program? For PDP, yeah, and that's that was the first ETF that we launched, and so that's been around for you know since March of 2007, and you know that's you know in in a important because a it's been around for a long time b the engine inside of it is the exact same as we use for all of our etfs you know we take an inventory and our goal is to own just the top 10 percent of that inventory so if we're talking about u.s large and mid-cap stocks about a thousand companies we want to own a hundred of them that the 10 percent of the strongest what we call relative strength trends or the strongest technical leaders in that space and so when you look in your portfolio you see pie all that is is the emerging market version of it. So we're looking at about a thousand emerging market stocks. You know things that you know companies that are primarily listed in you know emerging markets like Brazil and China and Thailand and what have you. And we want to own the top 100 uh, based on our quarterly rankings there. So PDP is the longest. That was March, uh, launched on March 1st, 2007. And so you've been through an, a full couple of market cycles, and you so you can really judge something. I think by that. So what? That. So the tenure number now is about what? So the you know since March 1st, 2007. You know, the S&P 500 ETF, the Spiders, is up 39.67%, and PDP is up 62.0%. Wow. And that's, wow. that's, you know, that's what we expect going through a full market cycle. You're able to see the benefit of that rotation inside the ETF. And again, you know, without the turnover doesn't matter. It doesn't affect um, the uh, tax situation. Well, hopefully our, our listeners are listening. Again, you can go to voiceamerica.com and you can download the, the, the IRA Enhancer UMA uh, brochure or uh, guide to get more information. Um, come tomorrow, we'll have the new Weston Bank site, W-E-S-T-O-N-B-A-N-K-S, westonbanks.com, and there'll be a whole block for the IRA Enhancer and other managers out there. Paul, we got about a minute left. I would uh, love for you to wrap up this. Can we be smarter about what we buy and how we buy it. I, I think absolutely we can. And if you think about the, the example or the, you know, the analogy of a traveler, um, I think, you know, it, you know, we don't have to, to judge someone that chooses to, to, you know, drive a car versus someone that chooses to jump out of an airplane. Uh, but I think the role that we can play through tactical advice is if someone uh, wants to, to be aggressive, um, that's fine. Um, what we can do, though, is at least stick our head out the plane and look down 
and see if we're flying over an empty field or flying over an active volcano. And that's the benefit of tactical advice is that we have that risk management slice that says, look, you know, I understand that your tendency is to be aggressive, um, but I don't think your tendency is to jump into an active volcano. And so that's the important part, and that's what's, what is, allows us uh, these portfolios that we think to be smarter. And it's like um, you know, a professor at, uh, at Harvard said years ago, he said, you know, people don't want a quarter-inch drill. What they want is a quarter-inch hole. <laughs> right and you know they want they might want to understand how the drill works maybe you know maybe like your your real you but know, they just need the hole <laughs> but really what they need is the hole and so while we think our rules and our process are very important at the end of the day it's about helping people like yourself jason you know advisors and in, in your local communities it's by help it's it's giving you the ability to produce that hole for that quarter inch hole for the client Paul, I can't thank you enough for your time today. We've had a good talk, and I'm excited for our listeners if they can go back and, and, and re-listen to the show or find your information. Uh, again, I'm Jason Steele with Media and Your Money. We are here to break down the walls of traditional money management and help you find the common denominator that the, comp- that the economy seems to put out there via the web, the internet, and technology. Join us next week as we have Athena, one of our other managers within the UMI, UMA Enhancer, See you then, 9 a.m., 6 a.m. Uh, 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 Central Time, or, or actually uh, 8 a.m. Central Time. Thank you for joining us. Thank you again for tuning in this week to Media and Your Money. Please join your host, Jason Steele, again next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk next week. We'll be right back.